This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. In this week's podcast, anytime we will reject God for the ideals of our life rather than the standards of His truth, we've just invited Him into our story uh, and, and we're using Him rather than worshiping Him. Welcome to the Activate Podcast, a ministry of Journey Church International in Lee Summit, Missouri. My name is Brandon, and joining me today is Pastor Christian. We'll be having a conversation about his most recent message from our summer series, The Parables of Jesus, where we've been unpacking the teachings of Jesus and discovering deeper spiritual meanings that can be used in our life every day. We'll be talking about the parable of the two sons found in Matthew chapter 21. Pastor Christian, thanks for taking the time to unpack this parable a little bit more for us today. Brandon, glad to do it. I, I learn a little more every time every time I go through the material. And, and we're on podcast 99, 99. right? This is our 99th mm-hmm. episode. So Lord willing, uh, ne- next week will we'll be 100, a, a neat milestone for this ministry in our church. I think so as well. Well, let's jump into your message from Sunday, deeply impactful. Um, Like many of the teachings of Jesus, this short parable would have certainly cut to the heart of the listeners. Um, Through this teaching, Jesus described two types of people represented in the two sons. One of the, the one son said no to his father's request, but later obeyed. But then the other son said yes to his father's request right away, but but he never actually obeyed. I, I want to believe personally that there could have been another person or another son mentioned in this parable, a son who heard his father's voice, heard his father's request, and obeyed immediately. Why, why do you think Jesus only addressed two types of people in this parable? So in the very specific context, um, there there were only two groups. There, okay. there could have been. Actually, there may have been one. I'll get to him. But there really could have only been two options for for this parable that Jesus was talking to for for these two groups of people. Because if we set this in context, we we are right after Palm Sunday, right? Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday at the beginning of Matthew chapter twenty one. Uh, the people from Bethany, two miles outside of town where Lazarus lived, who had died and he had resurrected all the way into the city, were, were praising him with this phrase, Hosanna. It was an Old Testament phrase that was reserved for the Messiah of Israel, uh, the Savior of Israel, co- coming to take his rightful place as king on the, on the throne of David. And they're shouting this at Jesus all the way in Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our Savior's here, our Savior's here. They shout this all the way into the temple courts. Jesus gets into the temple courts where there's all kinds of corruption. He's overturning tables. After he overturns tables, the the sick um, come. So there's this spiritual corruption among the leaders, but then there's there's this just physical corruption and brokenness among the people. They come to Jesus. He's healing the people. The little kids are still shouting about him being the Messiah, and the religious leaders come and say, "Shut this down!" Right? They're they're indignant. The word in the Greek there means they are angered to action. The best word in the English language is rage. They just snapped, right? I, I, I watch all these crazy shows that convince Danielle that one day I want to have a meticulous plot to take her out. Right. I love Dateline. I love 2020. There's, there's one version of Dateline that's just called snapped. When, yes. so, when someone just snaps, these people were ready to snap because there was one group of people proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, so, so they corner Jesus and say, listen, what are, who, who's given you permission to do all these things? As, as if, 
If your answer is good enough, we're okay with it. We just need to know. We, we just need to kind of co-sign on the authority. And Jesus says, you know, well, let me ask you a question. Whose authority did John baptize with? From heaven or not from heaven? And they conferred among themselves and basically said everyone knows it was from heaven. But if we say that, they're going to say, why aren't you listening to the guy? Um, if we say it wasn't from heaven, they're going to turn on us. We better just say nothing. And, and out of this context comes this parable. And Jesus says, let me tell you what I'm seeing since John the Baptist, right? So we, th- this, this, um, this parable's got an, an extreme first century context. There were two types of people born in Israel in Jesus' generation. Those who pursued sin and those who pursued religious things. There were the tax collectors. There were the prostitutes. They were Jewish, but they'd chosen a life of sin, just a, a pagan lifestyle. Then there were all the religious people. One group lived the whole first part of their life saying no to God. One group lived the whole first part of their life saying yes to God. But when Jesus showed up, who would be the proof of who would really follow God? The people who said no all their life said yes and followed him. And the people who said yes all their life said no and rejected him. So you can only have two types. I, I suppose the only person that could have been born in this generation following Jesus before he was revealed was John the Baptist. But he had a special calling on his life. He had the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, according to Scripture. Um, so John maybe would have been in group three. But there were two groups. People born saying yes to religious things the whole time who then did not follow Jesus. People born saying no to spiritual things their entire life, but saying yes to an offer of repentance and an ability to follow Jesus. So when you understand it in all of that context, you see very clearly that Jesus is saying, let's um, let's forget what you've been saying all your life. Let's just start like we did last week. Let's just start with your fruit today. Not a commitment in the past, but fruit today. You've been saying yes all your life, but it's a no. You're, you're not following the Father. And these people, there's no doubt they said no all their life. Tax collectors working for the pagan Romans, uh, prostitutes selling themselves. But today they've said yes. So which, which group is really following me? That, that is the backdrop in the context. Um, and, and the good news in theology proper, uh, for those of us who believe in, in what the Bible calls original sin, that we were all, because of Adam and Eve, they passed on a, uh, a spiritual gene of sin, that we were all born sinful. The, the good news is, uh, by, our, by our understanding, every one of us was born from the womb. Um, all of us who have had kids know that we know how to say no before we say yes. We were all born saying no to Jesus. But when he called us, we had the opportunity to say yes. We we were all born to turn down the first offer of a perfect life in the Garden of Eden because our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, did it for us. But then when our spiritual Savior stepped in, he gave us a chance to redirect and, and go to work if we chose to. That That is the truth of this parable and the scenario of this parable. Well, you brought up the Jewish leaders. Let's talk about them for just a moment, Pastor Christian. Um, these Jewish leaders who were listening to this parable would have been cut to the heart. Um, from your message, it sounded as if the leaders wanted affirmation from Jesus of their way of thinking and living. Then you used a powerful quote um, from Tim Keller, and I love this. It says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. 
Uh, you have to help us with this, Pastor Christian. What would be some signals that we might be worshiping an idealized version of ourselves rather than worshiping God? Yeah, it's a great quote, isn't it? If your it's, God it's, never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You, you, you may be God. If God is not allowed to disagree with you, um, you may be God. Um, so Elizabeth Elliot has been a hero uh, of the faith for the last 50 or so years. She was a missionary into the jungles of South America. Her husband, Jim Elliott, on an expedition with five other missionaries, went to reach in a, a totally unreached people group, and, and, and they killed him. They killed them all. Right. Um, and that entire tribe, because the missionaries kept going back, ended up giving their life to Christ. There, there are movies and books that have been written about Elizabeth Elliott and Jim Elliott's life over, over the last 40 to 50 years uh, of the history of the church. But she wrote a book called No Graven Image that is a novel. It's a novel about a missionary, uh, and it's it's her story, but it's written through the lens of a novel, but a missionary who goes into a South American um, kind of remote mountain jungle village that did not have the gospel. Uh, and her goal was to go there, to learn their language, um, to translate their language, to to get a Bible in their language, and to, and to help the whole tribe understand who Jesus was. And she went and she found one man in the entire region who who could help her write the the biblical text in the language of the people. Um, her first job was to minister to him. She ministered to him. He ended up becoming a follower of Jesus, and he committed to help her basically translate uh, the gospel of Jesus into the language of this people that had, that had never had the gospel of Jesus before. Uh, and on her way up to visit him um, one day, she was also a nurse. She did medical missions and, and um, and she did translations. Uh, she got to his house. She realized he had an infection in his leg. He was sick because she was a nurse. She had some penicillin. She gave him a shot of penicillin to heal his leg, not knowing he was allergic to penicillin, and it killed him. Um, it it killed as he was laying on, as he was laying on the bed dying, and the family was blaming her. Um, she was blaming God. Uh, God, here is here's my only hope for this calling. God, here's the only person who can help me do this. God, here's the only person who can know the language. God, if you would take him, you would, you would take everything. Um, God, you, you can't, you can't take him or all my work, um, all my life's work would, you know, would, would basically be futile. And, and he died. And in the novel, she stands over, uh, his grave kind of, kind of questioning God. And what she realized through the course of this novel is that, uh, her ministry had become her God translating had become her God. Um, and, and this, this one man had become her savior. She had begun to worship the project and the people and the resources rather than just the God of heaven. And when all that fell apart, she realized she had set up all these idols, all these graven images. Her life had become about the project and the people involved rather than the God that she was serving, who, who sent her there in the first place. And as Elizabeth Elliot tells this story, um, she says this about this title, graven image. She said, a graven image is the image of a God who always acted the way we thought he should, or more to the point, a God who supported our plans and how we thought the world should go. A graven image is a God of our own creation. It's a counterfeit God. Such a God is really just a projection of our own wisdom and of our own self. In that way of operating, God is an accomplice, somebody we relate to as long as he's doing what we want him to. If he does something else, we want to fire him or unfriend him as another personal assistant or acquaintance who was insubordinate or incompetent would be left out of our life. 
the very thing, the very issue, the very thought that might cause you to walk away from God may indeed be the greater God in your life. That's what I'm referring to when I said these leaders wanted a God on their terms. They basically had already created in their heads what they would follow. And they were just kind of looking for that. But that image, that that graven image in their head had become their God rather than God in flesh right in from right in front of them. And that's what we do. We 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 create a life um, that we allow God to step into if he'll help us create the image of religion and uh, Christianity and spirituality and love and forgiveness and all in patience, all these things. We we create this image. And then if, if Jesus will get us closer to that, he's good. But the minute he doesn't, we just unfriend him or, you know, or, or we fire him and we find something else to help us get there. So um, anything in our life, you know, how do we know we're worshiping an idealized, idealized version of ourselves rather than worshiping God? Because anytime we will reject God for the ideals of our life rather than the standards of his truth, we've just invited him into our story uh, and, and we're using him rather than worshiping him. Pastor Christian, you brought out two points from this parable that were really strong. Point number one from this parable is that lip service without life service misses the target spiritually. Or to simplify it, actions speak louder than our words. You walked us through the ABCs and Ds of proving our faith. And and to me, from my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong, but it appears that these are sequential. Yes. You know Jesus you're transformed by Jesus, you find purpose in Jesus, and then you make a difference for Jesus. Yep. So let me ask you this, from your experience, where do Christians often get tripped up the most in this sequence of becoming a difference maker? So I'm so glad you asked this question, um, because you're you're getting into our 2020 ministry now. I mean, these these four thoughts that you just read, that the people here Sunday, that really is is becoming a very clarifying direction for our church in 2020. Know God, be transformed, find your purpose, make a difference. Um, these these really are the steps. You say, where do people get hung up? Really, I, I believe in two areas. If you ask me, um, where where are people hung up in our church? I would say um, letter B and letter C. Um, it is it's easier to help people know God and make a difference than it is to help them do the hard work of finding transformation. And discovering their purpose, those are the those are the really hard things. And when you take when you take someone who is who knows God, and you send them to make a difference without helping them get internally transformed and internally motivated, I mean there there's there's just an expiration date on that passion, on that service, on that movement, on that momentum. Uh, we heard it described last week at a conference we went to this way: um, you can take people out of Egypt easier than you can get Egypt out of people. All right? I mean, you, you get that, right? For, the, for those who have a little bit of understanding of biblical history, God took all the people of Israel out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of most of them. And what happens is, is you know, people say, yes, I want to know God, but they are the exact same person that they've always been with the exact same issues that they've always had, and they aren't doing any internal, emotional, spiritual transformational soul work. They know God, they're motivated by God, they go want to make a difference, but like they, they still are filled with Egypt. And, and they long for Egypt. So this spiritual transformation in your soul is so important. It's one thing to know God. I mean, the people of Israel were out of Egypt. They were physically out of Egypt. 
but Egypt was still in them. It's a two-part process that we have to do better at through the difficult work of discipleship, counseling, vulnerability, um, being really, really intentional. And then the second part is is really finding finding your purpose. I said last week this is going to probably become a, a mantra that will get annoying at our church, this thought of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that you, know, you are born spiritually so that you can grow spiritually, so you can be transformed spiritually, so you can make a difference spiritually, because God designed you very specifically to do something. There are so many willing people. We have hundreds and hundreds of willing volunteers in our church who are willing to to serve, but they're not yet doing what God created them to do because they did not get kind of in the nuts and bolts of their own life long enough to say, who am I? What did God create me to do? How do I do that for him? And we have a lot of people serving out of, out of a need. Hey, they need help here, so I'm going to serve there instead of serving out of, a, out of a call. God created me to do this, so every day of my life I have to get up and do this. And on Sundays I can't wait to get up and do this because it's who God created me to be. Um, so I, I think just because of the, the fresh air of the gospel, right, that when you know God, all of a sudden you're awakened to this world of Jesus and you want to go serve him. But if you don't allow your soul to be transformed and you don't find your your purpose, there is an expiration date on your passion, um, you know, and on your drive and on your energy. So we have to do the really, really hard work. Know God, but let him transform you. Uh, you can be out of Egypt. You got to get Egypt out of you. And when you do that, find your purpose and go live it every day of your life. Go, go make a difference with it. That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to attempt to start teaching people as we roll out this growth track process, uh, probably in February of next year. Um, and you're, you're going to hear it probably in every sermon next year. Know God, man, be transformed, you know, find freedom in your life, get Egypt out of you, discover your purpose and go do it. Uh, You're going to hear that every week, probably next year. Well, Pastor Christian, I believe there are many people listening that are like that first son that we mentioned in the parable. They've said no to obeying Jesus, but now they have this desire to change their direction in their life. Uh, Point number two of your parable was was this repentance leading repentance leading to second chances is real. Amen. And I'm going to say amen because I hope somebody says amen when I say that on Sunday. Like that so that's a good. powerful line. Repentance leading to second chances is real. It is real. Yeah. Amen. I, so, yeah. I've, I've talking with people just this past week that are just desiring this, this, I need to change direction in my life. And let's talk about repentance for just a minute. And one of our big rocks for 2019 was doctrine. And yeah. this is a very important doctrine of our faith. Would you take a moment to explain what repentance is and what it really looks like when it's authentic, when it's real? Yeah. So, so repentance is a change of direction. That's what it means. The best picture of repentance is to look at somebody riding down the sidewalk on a skateboard who can turn on a dime and start going the other direction. That's repentance. It's a change of directions. Um, biblically speaking, what, is it, what, is it, what does it look like when it's real? What happens when it's real? Um, I, I would say four things are always there when it's real. Number one, there's a spark from above. I mean, like, there's this spark from above that, that to, to the recipient of the call of repentance sounds like, sounds like a, a thunderclap. Yes. I mean, it's, it's like this. This spark from above, Ephesians 2, 8 says you've been saved um, through, through grace by faith. 
But even that was a gift. It's, it's from above. Like God gave you the gift of repentance. You didn't give God the gift of repentance. You didn't say, hey, I, I turned around. Here I am. No, no, no. God, from above, God says, turn around. So there's this spark from within where God speaks to your heart and says, go the other direction. Spark from above, followed by a spark from within. Uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3, God's put eternity in our hearts. So this thunderclap from above gets our spiritual attention. God, because of his grace, his gift, uh, puts faith in our heart. And that spark from within just longs to know Jesus, live for Jesus. He's the only thing that really desires the thirst of our heart. And then number three, I, I, I call the, I, I think you see this in everyone who experiences real repentance, what I would call refining fire. Um, when John the Baptist was baptizing and people were wanting repentance, the tax collectors came to him and said, okay, I've repented, but what do I do now? Basically, they were laying all their works in front of John saying, which ones do I keep? Which ones do I leave? A, ref- a refining fire. Paul said, all of our works are going to be revealed by fire. So the bad stuff in your life, boom, goes away. The good stuff's actually purified by the fire. Uh, the Roman soldiers um, who were coming to John uh, were being baptized and said, what, what do we do now? Um, you know, everyone who had a spirit of repentance desired this refining fire. What in my life needs to go? What in my life needs to stay? What in my life needs to come that's, that's not there yet? There's this refining fire where we want God to purify us to be more like him. And then there is number four, a redirected purpose. Um, how do I serve others with what, with what I've been given, with what I've been called to? How do I serve others and how do I help them find it? Everyone who has experienced true repentance can can literally walk you through these four stages of their life. This spark from above where just God through his Holy Spirit began to speak to their soul. This spark from within, this longing to know Jesus and only be fulfilled by Jesus. This refining fire to be willing to let Jesus test everything in your life. Take the bad, keep the good, make the good better, put in more good. And then this redirected purpose, now that I have this, how do I share it with the world and how do I help them find it? Everyone who has who's been repentant and through this process of repentance has walked through those four steps and Brandon's second chances are real thousandth chances are real millionth chances are real if you're not dead God's not done keep repenting I promise you the spark from above is not dead the spark from within can be reignited Um, the refining fire is still burning if you'll submit your life to it and the redirected purpose will change the world incredible reminder well last question for today Pastor Christian your message on Sunday had two goals Um, one that we would clearly see the proof of Jesus and two that we would clearly see the proof of our faith what are some uh, practical things that people can start doing this week to show others the proof of their faith? Yeah, just some really practical things. Four things, just real quick. One, spiritual fruit. Show them spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, and self-control. These, these things show people God in your life. Two, spiritual peace. John told his disciples in John chapter 14, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, my peace looks different. So as the world continues to spin into chaos, show a peace from above. Three, relational love, love people. You say, how should I love people? Better. That's that, that, love people. How should I love people? Better. Better next week than last week, better two weeks from now than next week. Love people. And then I think especially at this point in our country, in our culture, um, humble and quiet lives 
even and sometimes especially in disagreement. Um, you know, Paul said, I, I desire all believers to live just humble and quiet lives. You're, you'll win the respect to outsiders by doing that. Now, humble and quiet with no spiritual fruit, humble and quiet with no spiritual peace, humble and quiet with no relational love, humble and quiet with no pursuit and purpose in your life. That's not going to do anything for anyone. Just sitting in the corner and disappearing, not going to do anything. But if you will do all those other things, don't worry, somebody open the door and close it. If you will do all those other things, um, your humble, quiet life, in addition to all your spiritual fruit, spiritual peace, spiritual love, will get people's attention that Jesus resides deep in your soul. Well, Pastor Christian, I loved your message on Sunday, and I know others did as well. And, and as always, it's been deeply impactful to me and challenged me to take a closer look at my life to, to, to determine if I'm just giving lip service or if my actions are speaking louder than my words. So thank you, Pastor Christian. And we want to thank you for listening to Activate. Our prayer is that the message in combination with the podcast will challenge you to live your life in a way that others will see the proof of your faith and be inspired to look closer into the proofs of Jesus. We look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.